At this time, I would like to invite our children forward. Good morning. Hey, how are you, buddy? Good morning. How are y'all doing today? Oh, it's some more coming. Good morning to you. And we got a few more. Good morning. Good morning. So, today we're going to talk about Lent. But I do want to ask you a question. What do you guys know about Lent? <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, does anybody know when Lent starts? Yes, ma'am. That is right. On Ash Wednesday. So, um, at the beginning, uh, in the early service, we talked about um, Lent resolutions. You know, like New Year's resolutions. We were talking about Lent resolutions. So, before we talk about Lent resolutions, I want to tell you a little bit more about Lent itself. Like at the uh, 8 o'clock service, Pastor Valerie mentioned something that was very important. She said that um, the ashes that's on our forehead... It's a humbling symbol showing that we're not going to live forever. But when we think about Lent, Lent is a season of the Christian year when we focus on simple living and prayer and fasting so that we can get closer to God. So does anybody know how many days there are in Lent? Yes. Forty days. Very good. It's 40 days in Lent, and it's 40 days before Easter. It begins on Ash Wednesday, and it ends on Easter Sunday, right? All right. And the legend is that Jesus needed some time with God during this time to sort through some major changes in his life. Maybe he needed to get away from his family, friends, and his familiar working routine with his earthly dad, Joseph. This was a time for him to see himself and God more clearly. And maybe he was searching for intentional time with God to get some answers. So just like Jesus may need to take some serious time to listen and pray to God, do you think we need to do the same thing? Yeah, we really need to do the same thing, don't we? We need to do that. So, let me ask you a question. So, what are some things that could keep us from being closer to God? Um, I think fasting. That will bring us closer to God. That is correct. Yes, ma'am. Worshiping God will make bring you closer to God. Is there anything that could keep us from being close to God? What? Yes, that is a big one. Anything else? Yes. Uh, um, not uh, just um, like like believing in um, I don't remember what fake gods are called. Idols. Yes. Very good. Very good. So, what are some things that we can do during Lent to help us get closer to God? 
Okay, we said worship, pray, fast. Is there anything else we can do? Yes. That's okay. One other thing is being active participants in the ministries of the church. Yeah, yeah, we can do all those things to get closer to God. So we kind of need to keep those things in mind during the Lenten season. Can we pray? Can we hold hands? (laughs) Will you repeat after me, please? Dear God, thank you for the Lytton journey. Be with us on our journey. Help us to get closer to you and closer to each other. Amen. Thank you. I don't know if y'all notice Bentley and Michael with their little candles. Did y'all see that? Their little battery-operated candles. Um. That is um, the Lenten discipline uh, that was suggested to our children in Sunday school this morning. Um, Pastor Caroline and the office volunteers put together um, these little packets. It's a little, um, there's a purple design on cardstock and a little battery operated candle. And our children have been asked to turn on their candle and sit in silence for one minute and then to, to, Bless somebody in their family, and then they're done. And if you don't have a Lenten discipline yet, you just got one. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, it is indeed the first Sunday in Lent, and um, we gathered here um, on Ash Wednesday just a few days ago to begin this journey and um, receive that mark of humility on our foreheads, the mark of ashes, to start that journey. And so this morning, we are hearing um, an iconic story, a story that is often read on the first Sunday in Lent. We are in Matthew chapter 4, and we will hear the first 11 verses. Listen for the word of God. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is a word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O God, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Many of us are familiar with this story. We know of the temptations and we know that Jesus was baptized right before this scene and he is led into the wilderness still dripping from the baptismal waters. And he enters a time of fasting, 40 days and 40 nights, so the text tells us, and then he's tempted by Satan. But just as we did with the parables over the past few weeks, what I would like to encourage us to do is to step back from this story a little bit and to make it strange again. So that we can perhaps encounter some new meaning that the Spirit might reveal to us. I was very intrigued this week as I was... um, doing some sermon preparation, and I read one commentator that uh, really grabbed my attention. She was not raised in the church. She wasn't raised in a Christian household. Um, Her father was anti-religion. And so as she grew into adulthood, of course she had friends who were um, Christians and who were churchgoers, and so she had some curiosity about Christianity. But what she couldn't get over were the stories, particularly the story of the resurrection. She thought, do people really believe that stuff? And when she encountered this story in an article in a magazine, she thought, do people really believe this stuff? But then the article she was reading, a commentator, said this story is an iconic story because it talks about the temptations of pride and power and possession. And she said she had an aha moment and she thought, those are temptations I struggle with myself. And all of a sudden, she could begin to see herself in that story. She's now an Episcopal priest. But she said when she encountered that story after having her aha moment, not only could she see herself in that story, but she also noted how Jesus handled the temptations. And that his response was always a response that was not only grounded in scripture, 
But they were responses that were grounded in God and his identity in God. Now this Lent, we are going to be fleshing out the theme of hunger pangs. And on Ash Wednesday we talked about this hunger that we have, every one of us, deep within the pit of our being. And of course in our culture we try to feed that hunger in all kinds of ways. You can fill in the blank for ways that we try to feed that hunger that's deep within each of us. And St. Augustine says that we will remain restless until we find our rest in God. But what I want us to zero in on for just a little bit is going back to the Episcopal priest and her realization that how she dealt with temptations, how she dealt with her own needs and her own hungers didn't measure up to how Jesus handled it. And of course we know that's true. Our humanity so often gets in the way. And then we wind up walking around with a metaphorical two by four beating ourselves over the heads because we've fallen short, right? Because we don't get it right repeatedly. In the scripture that we heard Anne read from the book of Genesis, the second creation story in Genesis, the first one being in chapter 1, in chapter 2 we've got this different picture of how creation happens. We've got, we've got God who is acting as a potter, reaching down to the ground and taking a clump of dirt and molding it into an earth creature and blowing the breath of life. And then the creature becomes a living being. King James Version translates it as soul. The first living soul. The Hebrew word that's used there is nephesh. God created the first nephesh. One of my professors in seminary described a nephesh this way. You look into a nest full of baby birds that have just hatched, and how do they look? Beaks wide open, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. That's a nephesh. That's a nephesh. We are created nephishes, created by God. So what does that say about the hungers and the needs that we have? They're not bad. They're God-given. They are created into us. It's what we do with the hunger and the need. That's the issue. And Jesus, in the story of his temptation in the wilderness, he models for us how to handle hungers and temptations. They came to him too. He wasn't different in that respect. He was human as we are all human with needs 
and hungers and we face temptations, but our culture tells us to feed ourselves in a very different way than Jesus shows us how, right? In those temptations where he is tempted to turn stones into bread, to throw himself off the highest point of the temple and to let the angels catch him, or looking at all that can be surveyed and claiming it as his own personal kingdom, do you notice the question that the devil keeps asking him? If you are the Son of God. It's an identity question. And how Jesus defines himself, he doesn't define himself up unto himself. He defines himself by who claims him. Right? He doesn't define himself by who he is. But he defines himself by whose he is. And the thing is, we have these God-created hungers and needs, I think, because then if we respond to those hungers and needs in a faithful way, then we can enter into relationship and that is what God has wanted from the get-go, is to be in relationship with each and every one of us. But our culture doesn't want us to look needy. Vulnerability is not valued. Saying the simple statement, I need, is often looked askance on. And yet, God created us, as Pascal put it, with this God-shaped, God-shaped, Whole and hunger within us. And the thing is, our hungers will never, ever be satiated until God fills that spot. That is the gift and the promise of the Lenten journey, is it not? To offer our hunger up to God and let God fill it. To deepen relationship with God and with each other. That, my friends... That is where we find sustenance in the desert, sustenance in the journey. Let us walk it with confidence and with faith. Amen.